Good morning. Good morning. Anyone know what this is? Yes. Nightlight. It's a nightlight. Did someone say an iPod? Come on. This is a nightlight. I stole one of my kids' uh, rooms. I'm afraid of the dark. I will admit it, even at 44 years old, I'm afraid of the dark. Now, not like I was when I was younger, okay? Because when I was younger, uh, my parents had taken our basement uh, at our house in Flint, and my dad had finished it, but the part that he finished didn't have any windows in it, all right? It was one of those old Michigan basements, and the light switch was at the bottom of the stairs, okay? And so when I was young, especially at nighttime, you had to go downstairs to turn off the lights before bed, but then it was pitch black. And when you're a little kid, you will go down and you will turn off that light, but you do it as close to the staircase as you can possibly get. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this column right here, the light switches are over here. So you're trying to reach halfway around just so you can hit that light switch and then you bust up them stairs as fast as you can. I'm talking like all fours, like legs, arms, just moving, right? You know, because you're afraid of the dark too. So don't even, all right? I, I know. And when I was a kid, like I used to remember thinking like, what's coming behind me, right? Like you didn't know. Like it could have been a creepy old man. It could have been a little possessed kid with a knife. Like it could have been one of the things from Stranger Things, like you creature. Like you didn't know. You just knew you were afraid, and you had to get up there. You didn't want to wait to find out what might be chasing you up the staircase, right? My kids, they want a nightlight. My mom didn't love me, so she never gave me one. I'm kidding. Like. But I, I've never had a nightlight. I wish I would have had that. My kids, they've got nightlights. In fact, they've even got these little things in their hallway, these little lights that are on at nighttime, just real, you know, low level. And so they always want to have their door cracked, right? Because when you're little, you run towards the light. Like, you, you want that. But something changes, I think, when we get old, right? When we're young, our natural tendency is to go towards it. But when we're older, I think a lot of times... Uh, we wind up preferring the dark. Um, it's kind of like a cloak, right? It makes us invisible, or at least we think so. We can kind of hide things in there, or uh, uh, more often protect things that we don't want anybody else uh, to know about, or things that, that we have. Now, the problem is, is that darkness brings a comfort that kills. Jesus... Uh, gave us a word last week. Uh, he did it through Pastor James Ellis. Uh, when James was here, he shared the beginning of our series out of John chapter 1, and the word that he had for us is that we don't have to fear the darkness. I love that word. Mm, that's a good word. It's a word I need to hear more often. It's a truth that I need to actually live into. We don't have to fear the darkness. Uh, the darkness cannot overcome the light, he said. John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We don't have to be afraid of the darkness. But what about when I prefer the darkness? 
If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open them up to John chapter 12 this morning. Uh, before we can dive into our text, though, uh, I need to catch us up. So, get ready. We're about to cover 11 chapters in about two weeks. <laughs> so, John actually starts off his gospel with uh, a spoiler for the rest of the gospel. In fact, when John tells us that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but he was light that is life, and when the light comes into the world, the darkness cannot overcome it. He's kind of giving us a spoiler for the rest of his gospel. Chapter 1 is really an introduction. And then in chapter 2, which I'm going to read something from in just a second, we get chapter 2 up to chapter 11, those 10 chapters, we get all of Jesus' three and a half years of ministry. Then when we get to chapter 12, which is what we're going to be looking at today, we actually find that he's going to spend the last 10 chapters of his gospel focused solely on the last week of Jesus' life. 10 chapters for three and a half years, 10 chapters for one week. John is trying to set us up to understand what we're about to be looking at because we're going to focus the next six weeks here at TLC leading up to Easter Sunday on those 10 chapters that cover the last week of Jesus' life. But before we can dive in there, we have to understand what John's doing. You see, John has all these different motifs that he brings up, the motif of light and darkness, and the reality that Jesus continues to call people to choose what they're going to live in. We also have this idea of Jesus' hour not yet coming. Today we're going to find that we're starting when Jesus finally says, my hour has now come. Uh, we kind of see what John does in chapter 2, verse 1, with this particular story. And I'm just going to share this one with you. Um, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, weddings were a big deal, all right? Uh, they didn't live in Cana. Cana was actually uh, a decent little hike away. You didn't just show up and, like, go to the wreck wedding and then the reception and get home by 8 o'clock. Like, this was like a few-day affair, and it's a big deal, and Jesus' mom is there, and Jesus gets invited to and his disciples, so you know this is going to be a party, all right? So, they're there, and it says, uh, verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, that's a statement, right? That's like an FYI, they have no more wine. But this is not a statement at all. This is Jesus' mom looking at Jesus and being like, um, honey. <laughs> honey, they don't have any more wine. Now, that's a big deal if you run out of wine at the wedding. You're supposed to run out of wine at the wedding. And so she's not telling him something, giving him some information. She is making a request of him. All right? You need to do something about this. And Jesus turns off, Mom! Why do you involve me? My hour's not yet come. Which I was trying to sound like Napoleon Dynamite, but I think I sound more like Kip right there. I don't know why. It's not, not what I was going for. Uh, Jesus looks at his mom and is like, Why? It's not my time. You can't. Like, why? But he knows he doesn't have a choice, right? And she's like, No, honey, you're going to do this for me because I'm giving my time. Now, I do have a question, though. <laughs> Some of you are like, Oh my goodness, my mom sounds just like that. Um, I'm curious, though, how does she know Jesus can do something about this? 
You ever wonder that? Like, has Jesus been doing like so many miracles at home? Like that, like that's the only thing I can think of, right? Like his mom pours him some milk, and next thing you know, he's got some diet soda. Like, I don't know, like I'm trying to figure it out. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but somehow she knew Jesus could do something about this. And so she says, hey, they don't have any more wine. In other words, Jesus, you gotta do something about this. He's like, Mom, it's not my it's not my time yet. Like the hour was when Jesus is going to be glorified, when the Father, the God of all universe, shows that Jesus is truly his son. Now, he says, my hour has not yet come. But this is actually where Jesus kicks off his ministry. In fact, his mom doesn't say anything else to Jesus after she informs him of the wine situation. She simply says, verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial, uh, ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Let's assume we split the difference. There are 25 gallons a pop. There's six of them. That's 150 gallons of wine. Yeah, that's a lot of wine. I'm saying like 150 gallons. Come on, Jesus. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them, and I love this, to the brim. <laughs> Not like they filled them up halfway, to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see, Jesus, I think, is actually foreshadowing what he is inviting all of us into. You can, you can believe that you've got the best life right now. Like, you've got the best wine, you've already brought it out, like, this is what it's about. And Jesus is saying, invite me to the party, and I'll make sure that the best is yet to come. Pastor Ellis would have got an amen right there. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. So can I just say this, all right? Because James kind of let us know. The more you interact with me, the better I'm going to be. So if I stink as a preacher, it's basically your fault. I'm just saying it right now. Okay? No, no. It's probably mostly my fault. But maybe a little your fault. Okay? So Jesus foreshadows what's about to happen. In fact, uh, that's what he winds up doing then, those ten chapters leading us up to chapter 12. He He's beginning to share stories about how he is the Messiah. Now, he often shares them in parables that not everybody understands. But he always connects his stories and his claims to miracles. Jesus does all kinds of miracles. John records a, a number of them for us. All right? Uh, he heals the sick and then the lame. He makes them walk. The blind person can see again. He feeds 5,000 people with five small loaves of bread and two fish. He walks on water. He even raises Lazarus back to life after Lazarus has been stinking in the grave for four days. People from all over Israel, both Jews and Greeks, want to see Jesus. They want to hang out with him. They want to experience his power. But mostly what they're drawn to is not the message, which is a message of choosing. They're drawn to the cool things he can do. John continues this 
motif of light and dark all throughout these first ten chapters. And Jesus continues to say, my time has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, until we get to chapter 12. I'm going to skip over the first 20 verses. We're going to actually come back to those in a few weeks. But what happens in those first 20 verses is Jesus is making his way for the third and final time during his ministry to Jerusalem. They always say this, and I didn't always understand it, uh, but they always say he went up to Jerusalem. But we know that Jesus actually lived in the northern part of the country, and Jerusalem's more in the southern part, so normally we would say you go down. But the reason they always say up is because Jerusalem is one of the highest points in the country. And so whenever you're walking there, you're always walking uphill, no matter which way you come from. And so Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, and then he even tells us he's going to be lifted up on a cross, and that's how he's going to draw all men and women to himself. And while he's coming into Jerusalem, all the crowds start to hear. Now, Jerusalem's probably, they estimate, uh, I think I've heard around 50,000 people in kind of greater Jerusalem area in the, the, the main city and, and kind of around. But uh, Jesus, during the Passover, as he's coming in, we think that Jerusalem was probably swelled to like 250,000 people. All right, so like the energy is like, you can just feel it, all right? Like it's just electric. Uh, the Romans uh, would have definitely felt it too because they're ruling over Israel, over Jerusalem, all right? It's a big deal. And what is the Passover celebrating? That time when God kicked the Egyptians' butt and set Israel free. And this is what the Israelis are celebrating. The Jews are like, yes, God's going to do this again. This is why we celebrate what he's done. And so if you're a Roman, you're like, ooh, I don't really like this one that much. But we don't want to you know, make any waves. And so there's this electricity. Jesus is coming into town. And everybody thinks he is that Messiah, that one that's going to come in. And so they start chanting things like, Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. All right, but they have a very specific understanding of the kind of Messiah that they want him to be. Now, the religious leaders are freaking out a little bit because Jesus is a massive threat to their power, to their control. They're afraid if Jesus comes in and he does what everybody's asking him to do, then he's going to try to overthrow the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is going to bring all their might to bear right on us, destroy us, wipe us out, and we're going to lose everything. we got to do something about this Jesus cap. we got to shut him up. we got to take that light and make it dark again. And so they decide that they're going to try to kill him. That's the plan that's been hatched. They've been trying to do this for a while, but now they're like, this thing's getting serious. We have to do something. We pick up the story in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Now, this is a weird little thing that John tells us about. Up until this time, we know that Jesus' mission has been to come to his own, but we also learn in John chapter 1 that his own did not receive all of the teaching and miracles that Jesus, uh, for the most part, has been doing has been directed to his own people, the Jews. Now, all of a sudden, John gives us this little interesting glimpse into another reason Jesus has come, that it's not simply for the Jews. When at the turning point of John's whole gospel, Jesus, our beginning to come, which is what we're going to read next in verse 23, 
It's some Greeks, some non-Jews, some Gentiles that come in. They actually start off by going to Philip first because Philip's from Bethsaida. Uh, Bethsaida, we actually know, had Jews and Greeks living in it. It's not far from where Jesus uh, was from. Jesus did a number of different miracles there. Uh, when they've done excav excavations from first century time period, they found uh, pig bones and catfish bones, which are not kosher. And so that they know that the, the Greek influence was very strong there. Philip is a Greek name. He's one of Jesus' disciples. But these Greeks are like, hey, we'll go to this dude. He's Jewish, but he's got a Greek name. He speaks Greek. He'll get us in. And then, really, the story, John doesn't tell us anything else about these folks. All right? It's just like he throws this little nugget. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a, what do they call it, an Easter egg? Right? When you're like, somebody was just talking about lost. How they were like geeked out on the different Easter eggs. This is an Easter egg in the Gospel of John. John's dropping this in just to let us know. Keep reading. Verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it, said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He's talking about a death on the cross. Verse 34, the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? You see, they got it. Who is this Son of Man? They asked. Verse 35. Then Jesus told them. You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Jump back with me to verse 23. The hour has come. Jesus finally inaugurates what's about to happen. The hour has come. Now, all the people, including the disciples, quite honestly, up to this point, were expecting Messiah that was going to come in and do what they wanted him to do, which was overthrow Rome. Okay, Not just overthrow Rome, but actually rule the entire world. Like That's what they were hoping for. And so they're shouting and cheering and so glad that Jesus is coming. But the problem is, is they want something that they can grab a hold of. Something that they can control, something that changes their current situation. But what Jesus is offering, though, grabs hold of you, cannot be controlled, and changes our eternal situation. The hour has come. Everybody wants it until they realize they can't control it. Verse 23, uh, excuse me, 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, 
it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is talking about his death and ultimately his resurrection, but not only his death and resurrection, what he's actually calling anybody that wants to follow him into. He continues on and says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. This is tough, honestly. This is a hard one because uh, almost everybody in here is American. And Americans have the best life. Uh, just simply living in America, regardless of your socioeconomic position, puts you in the 90th percentile of wealthiest people in the world. Now, I get it. Uh, poverty, no matter where you're at, is poverty and it's difficult. And I'm not here to say that every single one of you has like the greatest life imaginable, but I am telling you that for the vast majority of us, we live in the 10th percent. If I were to ask you, yo, you want to trade in your life with somebody? If you can pick it, you might say yes. But if I'm going to spin a dial and it's going to land on a number and you can either land somewhere above the nine, right? You might be like, ooh, I'm down. But if you got a 90% chance of falling less than that, someplace else, you'd probably say, ah, I'm good, I'll stay in America. You see, the problem with losing our lives is we like our lives. Like, our lives aren't that bad for the most part. We're usually pretty cool with it. And we like to be thought of as cool by our culture. I mean, our culture is the coolest. Now, honestly, like, you go around the world, all right, I haven't seen a single one of you guys with a Phnom Penh hat on, right? Or a Jakarta t-shirt, okay? But you go to Jakarta or Phnom Penh, you will see little kids and adults running around with New York City shirts and LA hats and like everybody around the world is excited about all things American. I'm not saying they love everything about America, but they think our culture is pretty cool and truth is most of us do too. I do. A lot of times I want my culture to think that I'm cool. I, I like to like control how much Jesus I let out sometimes. But Jesus has continued to call people the whole first 10 chapters and is now calling people here to make a choice. When you're on the top, you try to protect what you have. And I think we do that as Americans. Like We've got pretty good lives. I'm not saying your life's perfect, but I'm saying compared to the rest of the world, it's pretty doggone good. And so what happens is we often try to like protect that. Uh, in football, they call this the victory formation. Okay? Uh, it's when you're up, you're winning the game, and you have the ball, and you just want to run out the clock. And so they'll stand all of like the linemen in front, nice and tight, real close together. The quarterback gets nice and close underneath the center to get the ball and snap. They'll even put two more guys right next to him to kind of guard him. And he gets the snap, and then he just kneels down, takes a knee. Uh, I was going to show you a picture uh, of the Lions doing this, but I couldn't find one on the whole. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not just alienated like most of you Sorry. Hey. <laughs> I think we do this way too often in our lives, too. Like we're we're up. Like we, we got it. Right? We're we're in America. Not, not only that, but a lot of you, we live in a nice part of America here around GR. And we don't necessarily want to lose our lives. 
Uh, we certainly don't want the culture to think that we're uncool because there's some things that Jesus said that the Bible says that our culture does not agree with. How to spend your life, our sexual ethic, and I'm not just talking about homosexuality, I'm talking about all the sexual, uh, sexual ethic. How we spend our money, what we give our time to. There's all kinds of things that what the Bible says, what Jesus said, our culture doesn't agree with doesn't push us forward. And so it's hard because Jesus said you gotta lose your life if you want to save it. Um, the problem with Jesus is he's not safe. There, there is no victory formation with Jesus. Jesus isn't safe. He's not safe for the gay person or the trans person or the straight person. He's not safe for single people or married people. He's not safe for the communist or the capitalist. He's not safe for blacks. Whites, Asians, or Latinos. Jesus isn't safe for poor people, and he isn't safe for rich people. Jesus isn't safe for Republicans, for Democrats, conservatives, moderates, or liberals. Jesus isn't a safe choice. But he is a good one. Amen. And Jesus, thank you very much. <laughs> Jesus isn't a safe bet. Jesus is a good bet. And Jesus is calling every single one of his hearers in this moment to recognize that he might not be safe, but he is good. But it will require us losing our lives. If we were to continue on in verse 27, we would see that Jesus is now talking about the fact that he's going to be lifted up, that it is for this very hour. Okay? Jesus could have done the safe thing here. All right? He was, in fact, Jesus. He could have called down angels. He could have been like, you know what? I didn't start this thing. It ain't my problem. Like, I'm out. But he doesn't. He actually gives up his life, loses his life, so that others could find it. And it's actually through the losing of his life that Jesus is actually glorified. That he gets what is actually better, not just for himself, but for us as well. You see, the religious leaders want to have Jesus killed. They want to snuff it out. This is so gangster, okay? I'm just like saying, this is gangster. Like, Jesus takes the very thing that they intend to snuff it out, and he turns it on them. It's like when you bring a knife to a fight and you get stabbed with it. Like, that's what happens to the religious leaders. They're, they're going to put Jesus on a cross thinking that they're going to extinguish his life, that they're going to put it out, put him in a tomb. But it's actually through that that he conquers death and life forever. It's good stuff, my friends. It's gangster, though. <laughs> Verse... 35. So then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. While you have the light, uh, excuse me, walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. We never know when darkness is going to overtake us. Uh, you're probably going to have other opportunities to respond to Jesus. Probably. But I cannot guarantee you that you will for sure have other opportunities to respond to Jesus. This is one of those moments where Jesus says, I'm offering you something, but you have to choose. Uh, the difference between neutrality for Jesus and hostility towards Jesus is that they start differently, but they both end the same. Ooh, that's good, people. I'm just saying that's good stuff. The difference between neutrality towards Jesus and hostility towards Jesus 
is that they start differently, but they both end the same. You see, I think there's way too many people here in the U.S. that have kind of grown up around church, and you're not openly hostile. Maybe there's maybe there's a couple of you. Maybe you got dragged here today, okay? And, and you're kind of hostile to Jesus. You're not going to show it. Like you're not going to be like start yelling at me or cussing or like. But but inside, like you're like, I don't like this Jesus dude. I don't like this guy. But I would guess most of you probably are not hostile. But I would guess that some of you are possibly neutral. You've grown up around church. You've been to church. You've kind of seen it. You're like, ah, Jesus is cool. He's good. He's not a bad dude. You know, I'm sure there's some good stuff to learn from him. We, we kind of like him, you know, so we might actually like, you know, get a trinket, you know, grab that cross, stick it in our backpack, you know, carry it around, pull it out when we need it. But we tell Jesus, like, hey, don't, don't, don't start talking to me too much, right? Don't try to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life or how I'm supposed to act this way or that way. We're neutral to Jesus. Like, he's all right. The problem is, is that if you've been asked to make a choice, there is no neutral. Neutrality and hostility are, at the end, no different. Uh, last summer, I was in Zambia. And uh, they have uh, Victoria Falls. It's the largest waterfall in, in, in the world. And uh, they have this bridge that crosses the Zambezi River. And the bridge is uh, 400 feet from the canyon bottom, the river below. And they have this bungee jump there. And uh, I told y'all I'm afraid of uh, the dark, but I'm way more afraid of heights. Like I, like, I can literally picture being on that bridge right now, and I can get queasy in my stomach just thinking about it, okay? Like, I'm scared to death of heights. And uh, I saw this bungee jump thing. I knew about it before I got there. I knew we were going to be there one day. And I was like, all right, man. Like, I've never done this before. But, like, everybody says it's amazing and it's awesome. And I'm like, I need to conquer this fear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. So they're smart. All right, they're really smart. Because they have this, like, building that's before you even get onto the bridge that they bring you in. And if you want to do it, like, you sign, you know, your life away and you pay them the money. And before you even get on the bridge, because they know if you get on the bridge, you ain't signing no sheet, you ain't giving them no money to nothing. Like, it's not happening anymore, right? There's a reason that most people sit on the bridge and watch from there. But I had signed up, I walked out, and I can still remember, all right? I'm talking to the one dude, and I'm like, yo, how many times have you jumped? And he's like, I forget what he said, like over 300 times, something like that. And then the other dude, I was like, how many times have you jumped? He's like, once. <laughs> how many times have you jumped? Once. How many times have you jumped? Once. And I'm like, y'all only jump one time? And yeah, we had to jump one time to get the job, but we're not doing it any more than that. Like, that's crazy. That's <laughs> why this one dude been like 300 times. He had to jump every morning just to prove that I was safe. So uh, I got to get you all hooked up, right? And, 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 and you're thinking like, hey, they said nobody's died yet, okay? But there is a moment when you can say, no, I'm down, I'm out. Unhook me, take the harness off, I'm backing up. This was my jump. From Michigan in the United States. Welcome to the United States. Represent 616. I'm not going to stop, I'm so scared. I'm going to swing out. You just go All right, get ready to pause if you can. And... 
Pause. All right, now, you're not going to hear it in this video, but I have one of the videos uh, about yeah, five feet from there, you will hear me go, Okay, it's not picked up on this particular video, but continue. <laughs> now you hear me screaming, okay? There's four seconds of free fall before the rope kind of catches you and bungees and swings you out. And after I had got to the bottom, then I was screaming, right? Because it was amazing and awesome and I didn't die and it was great. But that four seconds while you're falling, like that's enough time to actually think. <laughs> All right? And, and, and while I'm falling, especially at the very beginning, I realize I have zero control. That's why my legs are like I'm running. <laughs> I'm trying to like control what I can't. And that's when I literally, because my stomach was like somewhere up here, I'm literally going, <laughs> because that's a scary moment. I don't know what was scarier, to be honest. Uh, standing up on top of the ledge, waiting? For that first few seconds? But I know that it was absolutely exhilarating and amazing when I was finally down at the bottom, swinging out. You see, when Jesus says, you're going to have the light just a little while longer, walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going, believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. Uh, maybe today is the day that you're spiritually standing on the edge. And, and maybe you're unsure if you actually want to jump. And you know that God's speaking to you right now, like you've been feeling it. It's been in your gut. You can't shake it. God's been saying stuff in your mind. You can't shake it, but it's still scary. I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you that it's not. I'm not even going to tell you that it's safe because it's not going to feel safe. It's going to feel like the loss of your life. Because that's what it is. You have to give up control in that moment. Um, the kicker with all of this is that sometimes when we're in darkness, we don't actually realize that it's darkness because it's all we've ever known. You see, it's possible to be around the light a lot and yet not actually living in it. And my guess is there's two reasons why somebody uh, might be unwilling to make a choice today. Uh, one could simply be pride. <laughs> Right? Like, man, I've been around church my whole life. If I actually admit that I haven't been a true follower of Jesus, that I haven't actually given my life to him, then everybody's going to think that I was a fraud for all this time. And I don't want anybody to think that because I've been around church my whole life. And so I'm just going to sit here and continue to pretend. So pride could hold you back. The other thing that can hold you back is the fact that your culture might not think you're as cool as they think you are right now. And you might say, you know what, man, I don't know. I don't know that I want to give up my life. I don't know that I want to offer it to Jesus. 
I don't know that I want to follow him. Jesus is simply saying, look, the light is being offered. You don't know when darkness is going to overtake you. But walk in the light while you can, so that you can become children of light. And so that's simply what I want to offer today. Uh, I'm not here to actually convince you that Jesus is the light. I don't think I can do that. I'm not even here to try to convince you that the light is better than the darkness. I don't think I can do that either. That's only something God can do. And if God's actually convincing you today, then all I want to do for my part is simply tell you what I've experienced. I know that Jesus is real and that he's good because he's been continuing to transform my life. I am far from perfect, friends. I promise you that. But I have seen that Jesus is changing me, transforming me. Jesus has been incredibly kind and generous to me. I can tell you story after story of his kindness and generosity in my life. Jesus has not let me down yet. He's always kept his promises. Even when I have not kept mine to him. He continues to give me more than I could ask or imagine. Following Jesus is really, really hard. But he doesn't leave me on my own to figure it out. I know that Jesus is real and good. And I know that he's definitely not safe. But I know that he's absolutely worth it. Because I've jumped. And I've freaked out. And I'm swinging right now. I'm screaming my head off that Jesus is good. And I want you to have that same experience. So I'm going to pray right now. And I'm just going to pray a prayer of salvation. And if you need to ask Christ into your life for the first time, maybe you've been away for a long time, you've kind of been kind of recoiling back into the darkness, and, and Jesus is calling to you today to step back into light, then, then don't wait. Don't wait. So let me pray. If you just bow your heads and, and close your eyes, I'm going to pray. If you, if you need to pray along with me, you can just repeat these words in, in your head. Talk to God because he's right here, right now. God, I believe. God, I'm scared to jump. I am. But I know that it's better. So today, Jesus... I choose you. I step into the light. Jesus, I give you my life. Instead of trying to control it and fix it and make it work on my own, today, I give it to you. All that it is, everything that it isn't, today I choose to believe. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. Jesus, I believe that you were raised back to life three days later, just as you promised. Jesus, I believe that you're going to return and make all things new. God, I'm still scared. But I, in faith, believe that you will not let me down. So I give myself to you. In Jesus' name. You guys will just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you made that decision today, I, I want to be able to celebrate with you. And I want to be able to talk to you. So I'm going to ask you to do something right now. Just raise your hand if, if that was you. If God was speaking and, and you responded, just raise your hand. Yes. I see that. Anybody else? Okay. Father God, 
want to be a people who step into the light. God, I know there is even times in my own life where I kind of recoil back into the darkness, but God, I want to be in the light. I want to follow you and serve you and thank you that you never give up on me. You never give up on us. You're a God who continually pursues and loves and you're a God who forgives. God, we are so grateful for that. Jesus, let us follow you. Thank you, God, even for the challenge that you give. God, we celebrate uh, the life today that turns towards you. We celebrate as a church, as a family. God, we want to be people who come around one another, call the best out of one another, encourage one another, and help each other up and fall down. So that's what you do for us. So we want to do that for one another, God. We, we just praise you. Continue to move, God. Continue to speak to us in our time of worship, Jesus. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our voices to sing. Even when we don't think we've got a good voice, you're worthy of us to say these words as a prayer to you. Even when we don't feel like we have the right to say them, Jesus, you deserve it. So now we want to worship you and say thank you. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.